A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Chapter 10 In another time, they might have traveled in the dark, leaving under the secretive shadow of the night sky. Maybe they would have waited for a new moon, or a night where the clouds sheathed the light of the stars. They would have huddled close against both the cold and their fears, and made every step light to protect the precious silence. But now they were not hiding from eyes that depended on light, but on waves that rode the air regardless of the hour or the weather. The old accoutrements of stealth were meaningless when what you wanted to hide from was around you at all times. So Josh, Sierra, and Lamar departed in the day, when the journey would be safer. Josh had the means and reputation to make eccentric purchases, and he bought a vintage car with no navigation system, no proximity ping, no auto drive. A car he would drive himself. He knew anyone who wanted to see and track him badly enough could still do it, but maybe these steps would blunt their reach, which Josh feared more and more. When they reached the airfield, he made his daughter comfortable in the back of the jet. She was awake, but sluggish and moody, and wanted nothing but to lie down. Josh secured her in a reclined seat, and then stopped for a moment just to listen to her breathe. Then he made for the cockpit. Plugging into the control system, he disabled every networked component. Fortunately, it was still legal to fly with old-fashioned equipment like radar beacons. Sometimes it was a lucky thing that the law couldn't catch up with technology. You're sure you're all right handling it like this? Josh asked the pilot, a fit, middle-aged woman. She nodded. It's all stick and rudder at the end of the day. Josh found that her confidence, even though totally unrelated to his crisis, was nonetheless a comfort. He thanked her and returned to the back. It was an exotic novelty, figuring out how to pass the time without the network. No screen, no pad, just three people in the back of a jet, one deep in sleep. Do you remember when they used to have magazines on these things? Lamar asked with a gentle good humor. Josh chuckled. I took my first flight on a private jet when I was 16. They had a whole different set of magazines. Rich Asshole Monthly? Lamar asked. Yeah, I think that was one of them. Lamar leaned forward and clasped his hands together, his face worried. So how far do we have to go? I've got us a place. Very few people. No network penetration at all. But we'll have electricity, things like that. Josh looked over at Sierra. Some fuzzy patches of hair were re-emerging on her head. But the little circles where the conductors of the pacemaker spent so much time these days were still bald. Was there light but persistent current frying her hair follicles? 
He longed to be in some parallel world where his biggest worry was that she wanted to do something awful to her hair because all her schoolmates were doing it. She hadn't even had schoolmates long enough for them to become bad influences. Yeah, everything we need will be there. Lamar was silent for a few more beats. The engines of the jet started to crescendo into a high whine. Finally, he spoke again. So can you tell me, straight out, what you meant by your speech? About the Beatles and all this KG stuff? That's what you were talking about, right? That this was going to start happening? KG was the new shorthand for Ketron Gary Syndrome, the catch-all for the still-barely-defined plague of neurological disruptions occurring all over the world, named for the first two scientists who managed to publish a coherent argument for grouping them all together. And while Josh had conjectured something like it, it was in no way any kind of preparation for witnessing it over the past few months. Josh leaned back in his chair and closed his eyes. Talking about it in the abstract could be a distraction. People are right that it has to do with technology and the network, but they're looking at the problem the wrong way. Do you remember when we were growing up and people kept saying that cell phones would give us brain tumors? They're only looking at what technology projects. But our brains have always done their own projecting. All our thoughts and feelings are real, physically real. Sparks of energy leaping through our minds. They can be observed, recorded, measured, studied. But for our entire existence as a species, the system has been closed. We changed all that with beetles. Even though they have no active network connection, they were designed to speak the network language so we could program them. And we connected them with people's brains so that the network language became a permanent part of the brain's infrastructure. Signals flowed in and out, waking and sleeping. When I created the bridge alphabet, it was to translate our programming language into the pure sublingual impulses that exist in the brain. They are like the primordial soup that we build thoughts and ideas out of. What I didn't imagine, what nobody imagined, is that the translation might work both ways. That in communicating with the beetle, the human brain could learn, well, a foreign language. The jet rolled forward, moving into position for takeoff. Josh realized his language was getting arcane, as it often did, and so he took a beat and brought it back down to basics. Basically, we gave the mind a tool, a tool it could use to evolve. One of the strongest impulses we have as a social species is the desire to make connections and communicate. In the beetle, our mind discovered a new way to do that and started adapting to use it. Lamar considered this for a long time. So people with beetles became, what, psychic? Not in the traditional way. They weren't reading other people's thoughts. They were becoming conduits for the network itself. 
Imagine if, instead of sending an email through a satellite, it passed from sender to receiver through people's brains. Not all of it. The connection isn't clean, and we haven't advanced that far. But the tiniest fragments, bytes of data that normally would have passed through us like subatomic particles, now detected, experienced by the new receptors in the brain. But like only people with beetles in them. Oh no, that's where it gets dangerous. Josh's face darkened. Like I said, our minds want to connect. We communicate in a million wordless ways each day. A twitch of the face, a hand rubbing an arm, a hug. When the brain starts to receive data, it recognizes but does not fully understand. It builds up as unprocessed noise that finds its way out in, say, a weird dream, a strange new tick in your body. Other people respond to that energy in their own ways. Unconscious echoes, the power of empathy, the kind of low-key mind reading we already do. Even brains that can't comprehend the signals are still hearing the noise because it's not coming from a cell tower anymore. It's coming from something it recognizes. So everyone gets sick? The engines roared now, and Josh could feel their gathering power even though the jet was still parked in takeoff position on the runway. It was like an undertow, anticipation, and potential predicting the existence of something awesome to follow. Yes, he said to Lamar, looking again at his daughter. Every new beetle that gets put in, even if it helps its host resolve some naturally occurring problem in their own head, amplifies the corruption for the whole human race. The noise is growing, our sense for it is sharpening, and at this rate, it will decimate more of us than any meteor, possibly in less than three years. Lamar followed Josh's gaze as the jet shot down the runway, building to a screaming speed. That's why you want to get her away. Josh watched the land recede below them, watched Switzerland, its people, its buildings, its natural wonders shrink into a faraway thing. There's another reason, and I can't keep it secret from you any longer. He took a deep breath, and considered Lamar. Josh had burned most of the bridges in his professional life with his speech. He had isolated himself from all his friends but Min Jun. In time, Min Jun would know. Hell, maybe Josh had already told him in some other version of now, but he didn't remember doing it, and Lamar was here now to receive Josh's confession. In a way... He was the only appropriate listener. One night, when I was 19 years old, I was working on the bridge alphabet, and I put on some music and got stoned. It didn't stop me from working. I was just bored with the brute coding and wanted to zone out. That was the first time I imagined the possibility that I described to you. 
that the brain might use the alphabet. At the time, what I cared about most was hacking systems, gaining access, causing trouble just to prove my superiority. And so in the midst of that flight of imagination, I wrote the basic design for a virus. Not a computer virus, a brain virus. One that could be transmitted through the beetle. It would enter your mind without you even being aware of it like a commercial jingle or a face in the crowd. And it could lay there for years, completely dormant, until, who knows, somebody plays a certain melody on a flute. You see a flash of three specific colors in succession. Whatever it is, it happens and pop. Something bursts up there and you're dead. And it can't be undone, can't be traced. At the time, it was so wicked, so exciting. But when I woke up, it looked more like just some wank-off hacker fantasy. I bragged about it to a couple of friends and thought that was it. But one of them told somebody who told somebody else. Then a buyer approached me. Not himself, but through a middleman. He wanted to buy my design, offered me a half billion dollars. I was already a multimillionaire, but this would make me a much, much higher class of asshole. And what did I care? It was a sketch of a theory on top of vapor, and people were throwing stupid money at guys like me all the time back then. It was Silicon Valley, man, just a mad bazaar for venture capitalist money. So I took it. A few years ago, I started noticing that certain people were dropping dead. Not guys in the same government or guys in the same industry, but people who are positioned, you know, at the junction points of influence, always wealthy. I spent about a year thinking I was just being paranoid Pattern building is a mother of a double-edged sword in a brain. But they were dying in the exact same way my paper said they would. At moments that were awfully convenient. I dug in and found out that all of them had made trips to countries that didn't sign the beetle surgery ban within the previous three years. By then, I was good enough that I could get just about any data that I wanted, and so I finally answered the question I didn't have the moral fiber to ask when I was 19. Who was my buyer? His name was Spartak Kaslik. He was one of the more plugged-in thugs to become pretty rich in industry when Russia went into full-bore crook capitalism. But unlike most of those guys, who just like being king of the mountain inside their borders. Spartak was thinking globally. He funneled money into hedge funds on Wall Street that were pioneering flash trading back when it was milliseconds and not nanoseconds like now, and multiplied his fortune a few times over. Surrounded by guys who wanted reputations, he used anonymity. His network of hackers was better than China's. 
When the offer came to me, I thought it was just some Wall Street cokehead overpaying to try to get one over on the rest. But for Spartak, it was a bargain. Think about it. The people who have been buying beetles on the black market for the last few years have been traders, speculators, and politicians, hoping to use the extra brain power to increase their returns or gain influence. Instead, Spartak owns them from then on, and they don't even know it. The moment their work interferes with his desires, he can assassinate them with a touch of a button, and no one will ever know it was him. Up until now, since beetles aren't connected to our web, you had to access them directly. Usually not a problem since they're so black market. The virus is probably in before they're even installed. But once one beetle can start hearing another, the virus can jump. And that's just the start of the trouble. His voice grew quieter. I think that we're not far from the point where any brain on earth could receive it, store it, transmit it. It can never be deleted. The human race itself would be its cloud backup. The old saying is that power derives from a monopoly on violence. Spartak Kauslik, one single man, will have the ultimate monopoly. The power to murder any person on earth with absolute impunity. And even if he doesn't bother to, his weapon may take Ketron Gary and turn it into a plague we don't come back from. Neither of them spoke for a long time. Lamar finally broke the silence. You think he's after her? Because you're a threat to him now? Josh looked at his ever-sleeping daughter. I know he is. They landed on a small airstrip in the Faroe Islands in the sea west of Norway. The only man to meet them at the bottom of the steps was Alig Taylor, with his thinning red-white hair and a face sculpted by hard Scottish wind. He was one of the few people left who didn't think Josh was crazy. Or perhaps he simply thought Josh was crazy in an acceptable way. He ran a nonprofit that Josh heavily supported that was trying to help coastal and island nations fight the rising oceans without having to give away all their land to resort developers and their government to people friendly to resort developers. Did you do as I asked? Josh asked from the top of the stairway. He had the means to shield the interior of the jet from the network, but the insidious possibilities of open air were here once again. Aye, Alig shouted, his hands still stuffed in his pockets in a stoutly grumpy gesture. I left all my toys at home. I've been alone with my thoughts here. It's awful. Josh allowed himself to relax a little and with Lamar's help, carried Sierra down the steps. For a moment, he wondered if he should go back and thank the pilot for taking on such an odd flight without asking questions. But the impression he had of her 
was that she didn't need such niceties, so he let it pass. And they loaded both their cargo and Josh's daughter into the truck and trailer Eileg had brought with him. She's a beautiful little dreamer, Eileg said, stealing glances back at Sierra. You can see it in her face. She might be asleep, but that mind's still clicking. Maybe she's slaying dragons in there. Josh had found himself increasingly unable to talk about Sierra directly. But he made an appreciative mumble and watched the streets glide by around them. He thought about the dimensions and how some people prior to the age of technology might have lived their whole lives without ever even knowing what the place they lived in looked like from the sky. If you couldn't climb a tall tree or a mountain, you lived in two dimensions. Even the best maps were indirectly created, guesses made based on measurements from the ground. They were shadow plays of the overhead view, not the real thing. They were doing much the same thing with time. He and Min Jun were daring to try to chart it and had even succeeded well enough to send those message markers back and have most of them arrive at their destinations. The metal had to be completely clean, measured to the microgram. A single speck of unmeasured dust, and the thing would spiral off into the void and never be found. Josh wondered if that problem could ever be overcome. If their packages could take control of their own delivery, the evolutionary step from catapult to smart missile. But he hadn't seen time, not really, and that made him arrogant. He had always been arrogant, and now he felt the weight of the misery that he had contributed to, sometimes unwittingly, sometimes from studied ignorance and greed. Was it possible to write the consequences of his arrogance with more arrogance? It didn't sound promising. But Josh didn't know how to be anyone other than himself. The truck reached the harbor. Sierra hadn't woken up at all during the drive. It was a pity. It looked like a charming little place, the village, preserved inside seawalls built for people instead of profit. It seemed to plunge upward from the water rather than to sit on top of it. Litla de Moon, a volcano-shaped island of green with sheer rocky sides all circled by gray clouds. Too small for a plane? Too windy and unsteady for a helicopter? From a distance, it looked like just to get up onto its grass you would need to be a good sailor and an even better rock climber. But as they cruised around the perimeter in Ali's boat, they found a small notch chiseled into the rock with the pontoon platform floating in the churning water at its base. A track ran up the notch, supporting a funicular car shielded from the wind and large enough for a few passengers and some cargo. Josh felt a painful desire to have Sierra be awake. Maybe he could have shielded her from his paranoia and the weighty conversations with Lamar about death and power all the terror of the journey. If he could have, what an adventure it might have seemed like in her eyes. 
crossing the skies to a faraway land and now fording dark, freezing waters to arrive at a place that defied reason. They loaded their supplies into the funicular car and settled in for the trip up. What is this place? Lamar asked. Some of the world's wildest grazing land, Alig answered. Used to be, shepherds would leave their sheep here year-round, and each autumn they'd come in, climb up the mountain on ropes, and sweep across the whole island, driving the sheep into a great pen. Then they'd tie them up in nets and lower them to the boats below and take them back to the mainland. Wool business hasn't been so good lately, though, has it? He said with a rueful humor. These days, it's just you and the birds. The birds will make quite a squawk. Breeding, you know. It's a puffin' orgy site, which is why it's so damn hard to build a house here. Not enough sun for solar, and the windmills would kill more puffins than any decent person could abide, eh? So how do you solve the problem? Lamar looked at the lights in the funicular as the motor cranked them slowly up through the steep notch. Water, Josh answered. There are tidal generators on every side of the island. Not enough power to really populate the place, but enough for one little house. House was a generous name for the place by the standards Josh was used to. The squat cabin looked like the sort of thing you'd see adjoining a lighthouse or a fire watchtower deep in the woods. It was mostly stone on the outside and wildly splattered by white streaks that Josh had surmised were puffin droppings. The inside was better. The sparseness had a warm quality, and the walls were thick to stop the pummeling winds and cries of bird joy. Josh looked at the walls. Eilig, thank you. There were shelves and shelves of real books, handsome and hardbound, some illustrated. He ran his fingers across the bindings, the tactile thrill transporting him. In his youth, Josh would have found a place like this to be the functional equivalent of a prison. Now, it represented the ideal escape, or rather, a place that represented everything Josh wished he could be happy with. Family, peace, Books, food in the pantry. Lamar, he said, turning to see Lamar already setting up the pacemaker by Sierra's little single bed. Make sure that any day she's up, she's reading. And don't be afraid to show her the hard stuff. Lamar turned with a queer question. What do you mean? You're staying, aren't you? Josh looked his friend right in the eyes. Lamar, the reason I told you everything I did is so there would be a chance you could understand this. I can't come back. If Spartak finds a way to get to me, he will. But if he got to her through me... A surge of feeling broke his voice, and he let the sentence trail off. He was almost grateful to know he could still suffer like this. I can't see her again. Not until my work is done. A Sickness in Time 
by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle. Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair. If you love listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessandtime.com. <laughs>